0: Welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Monday, uh, April 12th, Year of Our Lord 2021. And uh, this is going to be episode number 35. So, um, a few different things that I want to talk about this week. Um, several different thoughts that I've had throughout the week. And... Um, It's interesting that uh I get my best meditation time during during my lunch break. I really sit and ponder the things of the Lord and um been reading, you know, good theological books and and just thinking things through. Um and so a lot of these ideas occurred to me during that time and th- and that's what happened with this first one. Um I was thinking about uh the issue of of a baby being made in the womb. So, like, we have some verses, I think, in Psalms and Jeremiah uh, that talk about the Lord being hands-on in the creation of a child. Um, he knit me together in my mother's womb. Um, you knew me before I was formed, I think it says. And so, like, I guess I I, I started thinking through how that functions. How, how does the Lord create a, a baby in the womb? And so, I guess maybe without really thinking it through my my initial instincts uh prior to this were that the Lord has created a growth mechanism, so to speak, that um he He just kind of put into motion how birth and and how um an infant in the womb would grow and how how the the pieces would come together, how the body would be formed, how the DNA would come together, like He just put in place a mechanism. Um, and, and then it just plays out, uh, you know, so it's kind of like the, the old analogy of the, the clock maker, um, who, who builds the clock, builds the gears, winds it up and then just sets it in motion and the clock functions on its own. It just follows certain guidelines and certain movements that make it work. So my idea was like, is that how the Lord creates babies? Did he just create a mechanism for growth? And and for an infant to grow in the womb, and then just kind of sets it in motion, and then it happens. Throughout the generations, the billions and trillions and trillions of people that have have, have existed um, throughout the centuries, is that just kind of a, a, a birth growth mechanism, so to speak. And I suppose that would apply to everything, like the stars. Uh, are the stars moving by the hand of god directly or did he just set in place laws and and mechanisms to have it move and so that's a whole different thing I, I don't know about the stars but when it comes to the baby in the womb i started thinking differently about it i started thinking what if the lord really is directly hands on um like an artist you know painting on a canvas and rather than it just being like a conveyor belt where you just program in the details and then you get a mass production of uh whatever, in this case, paintings that just come off the off the conveyor belt off the off the production line, one right after another. Um, instead of that, is it the Lord actually working on each child um like an individual canvas or like a potter with the clay? Is he forming their features, forming uh the dimples, the the hair, the 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 cells in the brain, the veins, the is is he hands on in each and every child that is born. And so as I thought that through, that's when I started thinking about those verses about, you know, uh he has knit me together in my in my mother's womb and, you know, uh who was it? Uh, Jacob or or um I forget who, but you know, uh I was known in the womb or formed in the womb or something along those lines. But I started thinking about those verses, and so I started thinking if it is that way, um, and just for clarity, I I do now think that way, um, that's pretty amazing that the Lord is in each womb, at at each conception, piecing together the child, growing the child in a hands-on artist-type fashion. And so this really led to to two uh different thoughts and it's kind of a culmination of where my thoughts have been going over the last several weeks about God's sovereignty over our being and and over our circumstances and how that has kind of given me a little bit more confidence and and helped battle low self-esteem the idea that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made that the Lord like didn't just set a program in motion and this is how I ended up like he he with artist precision created each feature of my being like I am exactly what the artist intended me to be and so if you think about that with like a baby how each baby is a piece of art that the Lord has created and it's where the humans are the crown of creation so the Lord is is intricate and and hands-on and intimate in the creation of each baby how he pieces the, together each feature and so that that has led me throughout this week to be much more appreciative of of people just rather than just kind of dismissing or being um judgmental um in in physical features and stuff and and uh You know, sometimes you think harsh things about people based on the way they look. But with this idea in mind, that every single individual um, that has ever existed, that has ever been in the womb, um, has been created by the hand of God to be exactly what they are. To be the exact height, to have the exact eye color, the, the exact hairline, the exact teeth. Uh, every freckle, every dot, every wrinkle as you grow, um, every handicap, every uh, cell of intelligence, every every molecule, you start to see how precious and, and beautiful life is. It gives you a greater appreciation for humankind because you see each individual as a piece of art. As a crown of creation, as something created by the hand of God and made to be exactly how they are. And and this is like counterintuitive to the way we're brought up in this society. I think we're such a vain society. We focus so much on, on what the world says is beautiful or what the world says is good looking. Um like we we learn that through our culture. So that then we form opinions of people that don't meet that standard, we say, well, that person's uh unintelligent or that person's ugly or that person's fat or that person's short or that person's weird looking. But when you consider the idea that that God has created every person to be exactly what they are, um, there like how could you speak against that? Like a person, uh the 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 setting of their eyes in their head, the space between their eyes, like the length of their nose the shape of their chin, uh, the distinction of the ear, the the their posture, their just everything about a person um, is designed by God to be that way. They are created that way for a specific holy purpose to bring glory to God. Like the, God doesn't make mistakes. everybody is created the way they're supposed to be. They're supposed to look that way for for purposes we're unaware of. We often look at the surface level and and judge based on looks or or whatever, and we dismiss or accept certain people based on the way they look. But but God has created each individual perfectly how He has planned, um, so that so that they are exactly what they're supposed to be. And for me, throughout this week, it, it's just given me a greater appreciation uh, for humanity and kind of softened my heart um towards physical attributes and just kind of looking at everybody as a piece of art as as um exactly what god intended them to be and so like i say it it's kind of softened my heart it's shameful to think about how judgmental and um vain i am and how i have this standard of of beauty and and attractiveness in my mind that causes me to dismiss those that don't meet those those features but that's not the way god operates god has created everyone how they're supposed to be and and so everybody is fearfully and wonderfully made like every detail um it just kind of it it smashes the the vanity of aesthetics or or whatever that that we assign to people um, So it was kind of a cool idea that I've had, and I, I hope the Lord continues to work that in my heart because it's really a beautiful way to look at society. It's a beautiful way to look at people. Um, It's a beautiful way to be accepting towards others, to have a, a heart of love and not dismissal, a heart of um, acceptance and not uh, repulsion or disgust or whatever it is, that, that evil that lurks in our heart that causes us to dismiss certain people or certain types of people. Um, just an interesting thought that I've had, and 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 like I say, I've I've come to the conclusion that my initial instincts of saying, well, God has just put in place a mechanism of of birthing, a mechanism of of uh, fetal infant growth, and so everything just kind of follows this progression, and that you are your looks, your stature, and everything is just the the outcome of your genetics, of your family line genetics. Looking at it differently as as God being hands-on in the creation and working as an artist just gives you a better appreciation for people um, and just helps you see things in a better light. So um, I really got to start writing down what I do throughout the week because if I have an idea that I've really just thought about and meditated on throughout the week... I write down just kind of a headline or a bullet point in the hopes that I'll be able to remember what I was thinking about when I wrote that down and I'll be able to discuss it. And I'm finding a lot of times I've written down some sort of bullet point and then I can't remember why I wrote it down. I can't remember like where my thoughts were on that particular topic. And it's discouraging because obviously I thought it was something worth talking about and that's why I wrote it down. Um, but this week I, I wrote down the bullet point n times. And to be honest, I, I can't really recall what my thoughts were on this subject. Um I think it was um is perplexity a word? Perplexion? Per, per I was perplexed. <laughs> I get which is often the case. Like when I was first born again. And I'm sure I've talked about end-time scenarios here on previous podcasts, but when I was first born again, um, I was absolutely 100% persuaded or convinced uh, that we were in the very last of the very last of the very last times, that that I would be alive to see the end. I would be alive to see the end-times events, and I, I would be alive to see the return of Christ Um Or at least, you know, I mean, if I died tomorrow, of course I wouldn't be. But I thought if I live an average lifespan of 70, 80 years, I'll be around to see the end. And I was super zealous for that. I was um, incredibly fascinated with the book of Revelation and Matthew chapter 24 in the formative years of my Christian faith. And um, I happened to get saved at the same time that the Left Behind series was being written. Um, and so I would gobble those books up because I, at that time I thought it gave me clarity into the Book of Revelation. And so I would read one of the I would read the books that were out, and then I would eagerly wait um, for the next the next uh, book in the series to be released. And then as soon as it came out, I'd head to the library or the bookstore and get my hands on it, and and read it, and then wait eagerly for the next one. And I did that with all those books. Like I say, I I was born again right about the same time those were being written. And so I, I I was convinced that it gave me understanding on the book of Revelation. I've since changed my opinion. I've since come to the position that this idea that uh, we're all going to be raptured, every born-again believer is going to be raptured sometime before the arrival of the Antichrist and sometime before the arrival of Christ. I've come to see that as completely unbiblical. As I've studied out the verses on that particular subject, I, I feel like the scriptures are very very clear uh that christians are not going anywhere and and the rapture or the glorifying of our bodies into immortal bodies is not going to happen until the end till the very end when the sky splits and the lord returns um and and I'm 100% persuaded on that I've done much study on that and um but, so, I like I say, I was just kind of obsessed with this this idea of us being the last generation or being in the end times, and as I grew in the faith, that kind of faded, and I started thinking, well, maybe it's not gonna happen anytime soon, you know, maybe the Lord'll delay a hundred or two hundred years or 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 maybe it will happen in the next fifty years, but it just seems like there's a lot more time left than I initially thought, and so Every once in a while, um, it seems like I, I flounder between the two opinions. I kind of float back and forth like, you know, we really are at the precipice or yeah, there's still some more time because there's things that have to occur. And But then, I, you know, and what causes that fluctuation is um, kind of two-part. A, when I read the scriptures, I see really probably... Off the top of my head here, three key events that must occur before the Lord returns. I see that there has to be a one-world government. Uh, Revelation 13 talks about how this beast system, all tribes, all tongues, all nations um, will worship the beast. So there has to be some sort of unification of the world. Um, There also has to be some sort of mark. It says that the, the beast will cause all, everybody worldwide to take a mark in their hand or in their forehead without which they won't be able to buy or sell. Um, so I see, A, there has to be some sort of world unity, world government. B, there has to be some sort of instituted mark um, to belong to this world system, to belong to the world uh, financial system of this this world system. And then the, the third thing is, um, oh, what was the third thing? <laughs> I just had it in mind and then it was gone. Um, well, I can't remember, but those two things are are paramount, um, because I I look at the world and I go, well, there's, there isn't a world unity yet. And it, it would seem like it's, it would take a little while for that to come about. It seems like there's still a lot of nations that hold on to sovereignty and although our our government officials are constantly calling for world unity, what they call a new world order, and how we do have organizations like the United Nations, and in my lifetime we've seen the formation of the European Union, um, and and like occult or occult government agencies like the Club of Rome have plans on uh, not just a European Union, but a North American Union, an Asian U- Union, and and so on and so forth. Um so while we do see plans for that and people talking about that, when I when I think about it logically, it just seems like it would probably take quite a while for something like that to be instituted. It seems like we're we're still a ways away from that. Um and and then the mark of the beast, you know, I feel like you would have to have that world institution before you would have that mark of the beast. Um, so that, that is what caused me to think, well, maybe it's not going to happen in my lifetime. But then, uh, as you watch world events unfold every once in a while, you see some things and it seems like it, you see it more and more frequently that make you go, wow, you know, maybe we ain't so far from this. Like you hear about Elon Musk and his desire to have implantable brain chips, uh, neurochips in people. Uh, I, th- I think he wanted it done by this year. Um, and I've read, uh, somewhere at some point in time that the, uh, the army had plans by the year 2025 to have everybody with these, uh, brain chips. Um, and then you look at like RFID technology and how even as far back as probably early 2000s, late 1990s, um, they started putting these tracking chips in animals and they started talking about how they could put them in kids um, to prevent kidnapping and so on and so forth. And there's, uh, groups out there that have created, uh, implantable RFID chips, uh, for tracking. Um, and they're publicly talking about this. There's actually a company next door to me in Wisconsin, uh, that had all their employees get a chip and, uh, like certain sections of governments in the world have their people chipped. And, So then you would go, okay, well, that's tracking. It's not buying or selling. But then you hear them talk about how these can be used for banking. These can be used for buying or selling. And we look at how our credit cards now have a microchip in it and how they're talking about in these RFID chips, they can put the same type of technology so that you can go shopping with your implantable microchip. Uh, You can just scan your hand. So you see things like that and you go, wow, you know, this isn't just fantasy this isn't just conspiracy this is stuff that's being talked about in mainstream media this is stuff that's being talked about in the scientific communities in the technology communities um in our government agencies this is something that could be implemented fairly soon um so when you see that kind of stuff going on you go well maybe we are at the end um not to mention the more you study geopolitics you hear more and more of the world rulers uh, calling for a world government um, for a, for a new world order um, so I think it was that idea like i I, I must have saw something in the news um, maybe it had to do with the vaccines like there's weirdness going on with those vaccines the fact that they use something called luciferous or something like that some sort of bioluminous um, injection thing that can be tracked. And scanned some you know it's going in the hand and they can scan you to make sure you got the the vaccine um when when you see stuff like that and the fact that it's called luciferous and, and as in lucifer um that's sketchy um you know you, you you just and oh and then i looked into uh with these with that with the with the vaccine technology with these new mrna uh vaccines where it alters your genes I I saw something that uh corporations and companies can actually um put some sort of code in your DNA that's readable it, it's basically like their uh logo or their 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 patent number in your DNA so when you get scanned they can tell oh this is a Pfizer vaccine or this is a Johnson and Johnson vaccine and and that's sketchy because revelation 13 talks about that mark uh, being, uh, either the number of the beast or the name of his number. And like this MRNA technology, they can actually put a number or a name in your DNA with this injection. So you see things like that and it makes me go, man, I wonder where we really are on this prophetic timeline. Um, and 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 then um, maybe this is what I was thinking about earlier. I saw an article that, that the Jews are are currently celebrating the arrival of their Messiah, you know, because they deny that Jesus is the Messiah. They've rejected the real Messiah, and they're still waiting on Messiah, uh, which will be some sort of Antichrist figure. And um, I saw this article in this video of them celebrating the arrival of their Messiah. And you look at, like, uh, the New Age guru... Uh, Benjamin Cream, who I would say is like the the John the Baptist to the Antichrist figure. He's 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 been announcing for a while that the Antichrist, of course he don't call him Antichrist, he calls him the Maitreya, the new Buddha, the the 13th Imam of of Islam, the 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 Christ. New agers talk talk about the Christ spirit that that um Christ isn't a person they they say Christ is a spirit that comes upon certain people throughout the ages uh so you know the Christ spirit was on Jesus the Christ spirit was on Muhammad the Christ spirit was on Confucius and so they'll they'll say the Christ spirit and and so they, they've been waiting for the arrival of the new Christ the the age of Aquarius or whatever and Benjamin Cream uh for a while has been saying this new messiah is on is currently on the scene. He just hasn't revealed himself yet. Um, but you take all those things when you read stuff like this, when you see stuff like that, it makes me again fluctuate between the two opinions. Uh, the one going, well, it seems like it would take some time uh, for the events that I think prophetically need to occur um, to occur. And then you think, well, maybe it's not as far away as I thought. Maybe under the right crisis, some sort of world war. Uh, the world would quickly unify into one world body, and and the the technology for the mark is already in existence and being pushed, um, so maybe we really are in the last days, you know, and I just I don't know. I wish I still had the zeal that I had when I was early in my faith. Maybe that was just for a season, but another thing that makes me think about it is I have this uh, theory, um. That is just a theory, but I've done a video on it on my YouTube channel uh, called the Millennium Sabbath, and it's based on the idea that that God created everything in six days and then rested on the seventh. So the, there was six days of creation and then a rest period on the seventh. And then when you take that and you um, connect it with the idea that a day is like a thousand years with the Lord, that verse um, it made me think maybe human history is seven periods, seven thousand year periods, like like the 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 seven days of creation. And um, I think the idea that really gives that um, added um, emphasis is the idea that that the millennium, which would be the seventh day, the Sabbath, uh, our period of rest, is a thousand years. So it's like okay, if that's a thousand years, maybe those other six days are a thousand years as well. And so when you take all those ideas together, and then you look and then you calculate how old the Earth is based on the genealogies mentioned in the Scriptures, um, you would find that we would be at the end of the sixth day, like the seventh day, the millennium, the thousand years, uh, the return of Christ is imminent, like not just imminent, but we would be like right at the very end. Like it should be occurring at any moment, any day. Um, And of course, we we can't really pinpoint an exact day because we don't know the exact day Adam was created. Uh, We don't know, you know, the genealogies are um, a little bit tough to get an exact uh, time frame. We know we're somewhere around 6,000, 6,500 years, something like that. Um, so if you figure like 0 to a 1,000 was day 1, a 1,000 to 2,000 was day 2, 2,000 to 3,000 was day 3, 3,000 to 4,000 day 4, 4,000 to 5,000 day 5, 5,000 to 6,000 day 6, we would be right at the end of day 6. And then um, to, to give added credence to that, uh, when Jesus came, uh, he said that we're in the last days, which would make sense because he came At the end of the third day, or at the end of the, would it be the third or fourth day? Uh, But either way, there there we would be in the second half. We would be in the last days. Those days being thousand year periods. Um, But again, this is all just speculation and and, uh, theory. It's nothing that I could dogmatically state as the truth. But it's interesting. I was listening to a Charles Spurgeon sermon, and he seemed to have the same idea. And so it's not a unique idea to me. There's other people that have thought this as well throughout the years, but that makes me think maybe we're in the end times and then uh you look at like uh the scriptures talk about wars and rumors of wars nation against nation uh Daniel talked about technology and travel increasing um you know and 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 when you look at that stuff and and there'd be earthquakes in many places um and of course the 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 reforming of Israel as a nation um, all these things have occurred like within the last hundred 150 years which if we're to look at those as signs of the end then again we would be right at the end of the end Israel was formed in like 1940 something uh, knowledge and travel started increasing right around the 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 uh, 20th century there right around that same time Israel was formed prior to the invention of engines and, and jets all we had was horseback or or sailboat now all of a sudden we have all sorts of different means of travel that's all occurred within the, like the last 100 150 years same with knowledge um up until the invention of the printing press and and widespread like like radio waves and, and television and computers that's all occurred within the last 100 and 150 years. Uh, earthquakes have dramatically increased within the last 100, 150 years. Uh, we've had uh, wars and rumors of wars with the world wars. And then you look at like just the all the different conflicts that have been going on throughout. Like, I don't think America's had a time of peace uh, probably since the Korean War. We're always in a battle somewhere. Um so you just look at all these things and it makes you think maybe maybe we really are in those uh, end times. And not just the end times, but like at the very end. Um, maybe we are the generation that will see the return of the Lord. Like it, it could happen in our lifetime. and Because uh, really, I, like I say, I think the only thing that needs to happen is the formation of world government and, and that mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast is ready. They're pressing for that already. They're talking about that technology already, and perhaps that world government could form in a moment. You know, with the, with with the right crisis. Uh, but anyways, I'm I'm coming up on a break here, uh, so just stick with me, and we'll pick up on the other side. Hey, welcome back to the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. Um, I appreciate you sticking with me here through the break. Uh, we were just talking about the end times and how I kind of fluctuate between the two ideas of maybe we are, maybe we're not. I'm not sure, but um, every once in a while I see things in the news that that make me reconsider my position. Uh, but now I, I, I wanted to talk about um, another issue that was on my heart this week. Um in regards to Christian liberty, and um, I suppose this applies to me and some of the the brothers or sisters that that I know in the faith, Um, it occurred to me that I do and say certain things now um, under the banner of Christian liberty that a couple years ago, I would have been vehemently opposed to, like it would have uh, grieved my conscience. I would have thought it was wrong. I would have thought it dishonored God to do. And so it's like I, I think about now, and and some of these things, I, I do think it's just maturity. I learned that we do have liberty in certain things. Um, like just so you get the 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 idea of what I'm talking about here, um, let me give you a few for instances. Um, I used to be vehemently opposed to Christians listening to secular music. Like I thought, you should not listen to secular music because it's, it does not glorify God. And there's just something about music that that it's like preaching. It just goes right into your heart. It It seems to just go right in. And so I thought, man, when you listen to secular music, no matter how good or supposedly innocent it is, most secular music is going to be about uh romance, uh usually extra marital romance, or premarital romance or whatever. Um or it'll be about uh drinking or it'll be about partying or drugs or sex or something. There's usually nothing good in secular music. There's nothing beneficial. And so I would think like Christians just should not be listening to that. Like we ought, singing and music ought to be a praise to God. It ought to be worship. And and so I would speak out against secular music and I would warn my brothers and sisters in the faith, like you should not be listening to secular music. It's dangerous. You know, you're letting that poison, uh, evil company corrupts good habits or evil communication when when you surround yourself with evil. Now, at the same time, I was a bit of a hypocrite because I would watch secular television and it's like, where's the difference there? But it was just a stance that I took. I thought, man, nobody should be listening to secular music if they're saved. And then one day, um, I was feeling uh, nostalgic. And I thought, man, I want to hear some music from my childhood, you know? And so I was listening to some... I grew up on, like, 90s grunge. And so I was listening to some of that. And um thought, well, this is kind of innocent. I'm, I'm not really... Learning or worshiping or anything like that with this, I'm just putting it on to to think about my past and to remember these these songs that I enjoyed when i was when I was a kid and uh that kind of turned into where I went through a period here where I was listening to a lot of secular music from my past and probably more so than I was listening to worship music and I was like, okay, there's gotta be a line here between Christian liberty and, and you know, Paul said, all things are lawful, not all things are beneficial. So while I there may or may not be a sin in listening uh, to secular music, that might be an area of Christian liberty, or if, if you have the maturity to handle it um, as just a nostalgic thing, um, the Lord might permit that. But at what point does it become uh, that, that, unbeneficial thing that, that Paul warned about. Yes, it may be lawful, but is this really benefiting me to listen to this? And I kind of got pierced by, as I was playing a, a game of cards with some uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, I put on some secular music, and one of my sisters pointed out to me, she's like, I thought you used to be so opposed to this. And that grieved me. I was like, you know, she's right. Why do I, Why is this my go-to now? Why do I listen to this all the time? And I was really pierced by that. And there's other things, like I used to be um, incredibly opposed to the idea of a Christian going to a casino. Like I thought, you know, you shouldn't even step foot in that place. It's a dark, demonic atmosphere. You know, people are, are there's the love of money and people seeking to get rich quick, uh, which the scriptures uh, speak out against, to the point where I felt it was wrong even for a Christian to go buy a scratch off. I remember one time several years ago, the Powerball was up around like three hundred million or something, and for some reason, I got it in my head to go buy a Powerball ticket, and I did it while wearing a Christ glorifying hat, and I felt so guilty and shamed about that that I just tore up the Powerball ticket and threw it away, uh, you know, before the drawing even happened. Could have been a three hundred million dollar winner, but I just threw it away because I felt convicted about it. But then lately. Um I went to a casino uh for a brother's bachelor party and I went in with this mindset of I'm not going in there to get rich and there's no love of money I'm just going to have a good time with my brothers you know I went in with it on my heart I've I've got this extra money and if I lose it that's fine I'm just going to to play some games you know and again that's an area where I feel like there is Christian liberty I don't think you could point to a scripture that says gambling is a sin uh, many Christians feel that way, but I would say that's an area of Christian liberty. That's a Romans 14 uh, liberty issue. You can't prove from the scriptures that gambling is a sin. Uh, desiring to get rich quickly is is destructive, and the love of money is a sin, and those dangers definitely exist in in extreme fashions in a casino. It's, it has an alluring appeal to it. There is a there is a snare there that you can easily fall into, uh, but I think it's a Christian liberty thing. And then I and then I remembered back about my my previous conviction. So I I, I don't know what my uh, point is here, but other than that, I think we have to be very careful. And I'm speaking to myself as well as some of my brothers and sisters out there that um, as we mature in the faith, we may come to realize, okay, this isn't necessarily sinful. Um, there, there, this can be like a scratch off ticket or, or listening to a secular song or smoking a cigar or something along those lines where in our immaturity, we may have seen that as a dishonoring to God and we would have stood against it vehemently. And then as we grew in the faith, we realized, okay, well, this isn't really a sinful thing. Um, and, and I would argue that some of these things can be done to the glory of God, um, so you, you learn from that Romans fourteen. You learn, you know, if if one person considers it a sin, it is a sin to them. But if another person has liberty in it, um, we have to be gracious and allow that liberty. And so there's areas like this where where there is liberty, but I've started to realize like there there might be this danger line um, where we take things too far. Um, it, it may not be sinful, but it might not be beneficial. If if you're desiring to go to the casino every month and you're just throwing away money, that might not be a wise thing to do. Anyway. Sorry about that. I had a call come in there. Um, But, you know, so you have to test your heart. Like, is this ensnaring my heart here? Is there a danger here? Is there an addiction here? Am I being mastered by something? Um, you know, we have to be temperate and self-controlled. And one of my brothers is often preaching moderation is the key. And and there's a truth to that. Um, so I've just been wrestling with this idea of, of where does the Christian liberty stop? And we cross that line into being unwise and doing things that are not beneficial. Uh, for me, it was, uh, you know... I, I went from, hey, I'm just going to turn on this secular song uh, for the nostalgic feel uh, to remind me of when I was a kid to I'm going to listen to this on a regular basis. And I and, and it took that sister uh, rebuking me. Not, I don't even think she intended to rebuke me. She just mentioned it, but it pierced me. It took that for me to step back and go, hold on here. Did I take something that, yes, I have Christian liberty in, but did I take that liberty and go too far so that now it, it's not benefiting my walk. It's actually a hindrance to my walk. And so I need to draw back from that. And so I think it's wise um, for Christians to just really, really be cautious. Like, And I think I heard Pastor Piper one time say that uh, our thoughts shouldn't be, can I do this lawfully? Or In other words, can I get away with this? Is, is this something that's not a sin so I can do it? um that shouldn't be our mindset our mindset should be is this going to produce holiness is this going to glorify the lord is this something that i can rejoice in the lord in and give thanks to the lord for and and so that's that fine line in in you know like like with the cigars uh, spurgeon once said that he smokes a cigar to the glory of the lord and i believe that that exists that a person can pick up a cigar and see it as a joyful gift from the lord a time of 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 relaxation and meditation uh thinking about god uh, but it can also turn into just a, a habit that is not bringing any sort of benefit to your christian walk and so that that's kind of been where my my mindset has been on that is like Trying to walk that fine line between liberty and and being unwise, because I don't want I don't want to use liberty um, to put myself into a situation um, where I am um, not progressing in holiness, or I'm actually detracting from my walk. If that makes sense. All right, um, so then the last thing I want to talk about is something I was just thinking about here today. So this isn't a full, fully formulated thought and I'm not sure I'll even be able to, to um, bring clarity to the idea. Um, but I started reading this book uh, by Pastor John Piper today on um, the the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And with that, that's something that I, I honestly don't think too often about, if ever. Or, or at least, you know, it's been a surface level thought that Christ's righteousness is applied to me. But I haven't really gone in depth on that thought. Like often when I think about the doctrine of justification being made right with God, I think about my sins being covered. I think about, about Christ um, taking my sins upon himself, being, uh, You know, paying the fine that I owed, so I think about it in that uh, uh, negative aspect. But the positive aspect is that Christ's righteousness is applied to me. So not only does He take my sin, but I take His righteousness. Like that's that's what happened at the cross. That's why Christ lived a perfect, sin-free life. He obeyed all the law of God, um, so that that. That righteousness can be counted on my favor. Not only his his death, and, and sin bearing aspect, but his righteous law keeping aspect. Both are applied to us through faith. That's how we're justified and made right with God. Our sins are forgiven, and we're counted righteous, so that God looks at us and sees us as perfect law keepers. And so that part of it, like I, I often think about the one aspect, but not the the flip side of the coin. And um, I guess uh, back when Piper wrote this book in 2002, there was an attack on this doctrine. And so he, he, he felt it necessary to write this book in defense um, of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And um, I, I just started the book and, and he was talking about uh, basically like why he wrote this book. And he, he was talking about how he applies it in his marriage And man, there's such a great idea there that if I can get a hold of, I just feel like it would be so beneficial. Um, He talks about um, how if him and his wife are in some sort of dispute or argument, um, man, this is going to be hard to to phrase. I don't know how to phrase it exactly. Let me try it from a different angle because I brought this up to my brothers and this is kind of where my thoughts went. Um, when somebody commits an offense against me, when somebody does something wrong to me and I'm offended, the scriptures tell me that I have to forgive them, that Christ forgave me, so I have to forgive that. And if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. Um, it is necessary that I let that offense go and that I forgive, um, but the idea of imputed right, so that would be justified in like the the sin aspect, the mercy aspect. In in mercy, I am forgiving that person of their sins, and 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 that's what God did at the cross. On the one on the one hand, uh, we sinned against Him because of Christ's death; He forgives us. But the other aspect of that is the righteousness part that his righteousness is counted on our behalf so that he sees us as righteous. He doesn't even see us as offenders anymore. And so it's this idea of not only should we forgive, but we should see our brothers and sisters or or whoever as never even having sinned against us, seeing them as perfect, so to speak. Um, So how this would apply would be like, um, like, why do we get offended? It's because we have an expectation. We, we expect to be respected, or we expect to be honored, or we expect to be given dignity, or we expect um, to be treated decently. We expect not to be lied to or taken advantage of. We have these expectations. Somebody does something to violate those expectations, and we get hurt. We get offended, um, um, whether that's our pride or our emotions or whatever. We're, we're, we're hurt by what they've done. Forgiveness is letting that go. It's it's putting a balm over the wound and saying it's okay. I forgive you. Grace or this imputed righteousness is is seeing it as never even having occurred. Like you 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 have that expectation of I, I expect somebody to treat me with dignity. They violate that, and so now I'm offended and I have to forgive. But instead of being offended, I don't even see it i still see them as meeting my expectations that's like the next level of forgiveness that's not only forgiving that's um that's like i don't know how to explain it it's grace it's this imputed righteousness it's as seeing them as already meeting my expectations they already no matter what they do no matter what they say i'm i'm applying full um meeting of my expectations to them i am i am i'm imputing my met expectations to them so that even when they violate those expectations i'm still imputing the, the completion of those expectations to them, if that makes sense. So that I'm seeing them as if they've never violated my expectations. I'm seeing them as always meeting my expectations. That's a grace that goes so far beyond forgiveness. And he talks about it in the marriage aspect of like, if you could see your spouse as that, so no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how they offend or, or could potentially offend, you, you see them as perfect, basically. You see them as already fulfilling all your expectations. So nothing they can do can can violate the expectations because you've imputed um, fulfillment to them. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like I say, it's it's a hard thing for me to really summarize or to put into words. It's an idea that I'm just seeing. But I'm thinking about the implications of it. If we could view people in that light, like no matter what they say no matter what they do to me if i view them as meeting my expectations i view them in that light of love uh the uh, i impute so like it, it, the expectation and and righteousness part is where it gets confusing if it, so basically we all set standards of so-called righteousness in our in our minds we expect people to act and to say and to 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 demonstrate towards us certain behaviors and certain words and certain attitudes and respect um that we would consider righteous, we would consider they're doing right by me, and when they don't that we see them as as committing some sort of offense against this right standing in our in our hearts, they've done something to violate that right standing. And then we have to forgive. But if I see everything they... So if I already see that righteous standard fulfilled in them, they've already... They, because of Christ, like we're viewing them in this light that, that God views us. God views us when we sin against him. He says he, he, it's like he remembers our sins no more. They're as far from the east as from the west. Not only has he forgiven us, but he sees us as Christ. He's like, when I, when I, like, let's say, um, and I, I don't think I particularly really struggle with this particular sin, but let's say I lie. All right. And then I realize I lie and, and I come to God in repentance. Not only has he forgiven me, but he already sees me as never lying. He already sees me as Christ, as, as Christ who never lied that righteous standard of Christ, of never lying, is applied to me so that God sees me as never lying, even though I just lied. He, he, he doesn't see it in that light. He sees me as righteous. And so if we can do that to others, if, if somebody um, says something mean and hurtful to me, and, and, and so I have this, this standard of righteousness where I, I feel like I'm owed dignity and honor and respect, and they say something mean or, or hurtful to me. They violated my dignity, my respect, and my honor. Um, they, they've they uh, done damage to the standard of righteousness so that now I have to forgive. But if I already see them as righteous, I already see them as giving me dignity, honor, no matter what they say, then there's this new level of love. There's this new level of 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 unity and and. I don't even know how to define this in words, but but I think in all this mumbling and all all this trying to piece it together as I speak to you, I think I've made my point. I think I think I think you can grasp what it is that I'm saying. There's something there that will not only overcome offenses, but will destroy even the possibility of offense. If if I view you as meeting my standards of expectation at all times no matter what, then I, then I'll never get offended. Uh, And of course we're not perfect. You know, this is how God, but this is the standard we should be going for. There's, there's a new level of love there. There's a new level of, uh, fellowship there and unity, uh, that can't be hindered if we're living in this light. So anyways, um, just a thought here and, and maybe as I read the book, it'll develop further, but, um, I really like the idea of of going even beyond forgiveness and seeing people as already meeting my expectations. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, That's what I got for you guys this week. As always, I I truly appreciate you listening. Um, I love you and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.